The subject for the evening talk is the state of the I. I is the self. Any inquiry into spiritual life, if it, has to, if it is to have some meaning and uh, depth for us, is one which must include some inquiry, some investigation into the condition, into the state of I, what I is. And this inquiry and investigation into the state of I takes into consideration where we are at this particular juncture, at this particular point in our life. <coughs> and there might be, there are a number of ways of describing or speaking about the state of I and the way of experiencing, the way of relating to this sense of I, this sense of me. And inquiry, spiritual investigation keeps on touching upon, keeps on referring to and exploring what this me, what this state, what this condition of I is and how full it is, how real it is, how substantial it is, how much does it mean, how much does it mean to me. And all the interactions, the meditations, the awarenesses, the mindfulness, the observations are directly, hopefully, addressing this, the context of the me, the context of the I. And I would like to explore with you this evening a couple of areas of this which may or may not be relevant uh, to you. And the kind of formation that I takes and what that means individually and outwardly. And one form of this I, this me, we might call it the I of the me which socially, perhaps outwardly, perhaps inwardly, appears successful. Appears successful not only in, in the world of living in the world and communicating and appearing in the world, but successful in the sense that there isn't too much pain and suffering in life, there isn't too much stress and fear and anxiety, and one might say that within that eye there's certain stability, a certain steadiness, maybe even equanimity <coughs> in life. But this eye too, in its own success, in its own getting along rather well in the world is also supported by that view of itself, by that feeling and by that attitude. And so in the relationship to the world, in sometimes in gross ways and sometimes in subtle ways, this I, for its sustenance, to maintain itself, requires support. It, re it requires doing to add to. 
It requires more of, it requires success. It requires being somebody in the world. So when the I is relatively successful, the, the roles that one has become important. The position that one has, the status that one has. And it doesn't have to be in an exaggerated, arrogant or conceited way. But it does require, from outside of itself, as well as views and thoughts about itself, it requires some sustained affirmation for it to be. And very easily, circumstances and spiritual inquiry and meditative awareness can, in fact, be a means of giving itself further support. And in giving its further support, the ironic thing is that in its own equanimity, in its own power to observe, in its own power to be with, it maintains, it sustains itself. And because there is a certain self-satisfaction in this, a, a certain feeling of attainment or uh, achievement or having got somewhere, I persists in this world and it persists successfully. And then other conditions of life, as it were, so to speak, outside of itself, actually become subservient to it. The world is seen in relationship to me. Situations and circumstances around are interpreted in what's for me. What can I receive from this? What can I get from this? What will this give to me? And it's not necessarily in an greedy or aggressive or violent uh, uh, kind of way, but nevertheless character of this I, steady as it is, calm as it is, observant as it is, still perpetuates itself through what's for me, what can I achieve, what can I get. And unless that was there, that I and the want, the need, the movement towards looking for me, it can't sustain itself and it would be under threat. And we notice this, we notice this in our roles, we notice this in our activities, we notice this in our meditations, we notice it particularly in the countless forms of experiences that we have, how the use is employed for me, employed for I. And I wonder whether we can actually question that. I wonder whether we can question that when we come and walk into the meditation room and then our normal, everyday thinking, which means socially conditioned thinking, we walk in and we sit down and we stop and we say, well, what is going on here? What's occurring here? And, and whether the thinking is, what's in it for me? What's my sitting going to be like? What, do I like? what am I going to get out of this? And we notice in ourselves, with this eye, this confident eye, and, and this want wanting eye, that when we feel we're not getting something out of, whatever that might mean, when we're not getting something out of, 
how the dissatisfaction just grows inside of us. Because we're so used to, own, to thinking exclusively in our various life interests of getting something out of. And we've become terribly clever at it. We act, we think, we speak, we do, we believe, we live in this world in terms of getting something out of. And as, as I went to see one of my old teachers a few months ago and in Thailand, and he said something which struck, you know, sometimes you hear a sentence and it strikes you so strongly. He said to me, this world is being destroyed through cleverness. This world is being destroyed through cleverness. And what, what is happening with us as human beings and our sense of I, this state of I, is that we're becoming so clever, so clever at organizing and arranging and, mm, and working in a way to keep I center, to keep I primary. And it seems to me that if we don't begin to explore when we walk into the meditation room, when we go into a walking, when we go into a uh, take some food, some other way of looking, something starkly contrasting to this what's in it for me way of looking, I think we're only going to perpetuate what we're trying to examine. We're not going to go anywhere with this practice. I think the other, another expression of this in our looking with this eye, and just as we need to look at one kind of quality, let us say, of I, this confident, self-assured, I know, I know what I want, I know what I need kind of I, I think there is another quality of I, state of I, which sometimes for the person and for the individual is actually more painful, perhaps because there's more feeling or emotion involved. But somehow or other, it seems to me, might be approaching in some way or other something about what the inquiry and what the investigations are all about. Let me just explore that a little bit. Sometimes when you come into the meditations, you come into the day here. And in a way, we can never say for any, sh with any assurance, any self-assurance, what today will be like or what the next period will, will be like. Human beings live on the edge far more than what, we were, w w than what our eye is ever willing to appreciate. And we come into a situation, and uh, whatever it might be, and then something impacts itself feelingly and deeply in our psyche. And we know this by the strength or the intensity of the sensation, by possibly the memory which has occurred, or the event, or sometimes there's no memory or noticeable event, but something we know has happened or is happening very deep inside of ourselves. And sometimes what comes up is so deep inside of ourselves that it's too big for me to handle. It's too much for me. It's overwhelming me. I'm feeling overcome by this. And this 
I, it's faced with circumstances, feeling circumstances, thought circumstances, which can have such a strength and intensity to them that the I is threatened by it. It does feel awed, if not fearful, about the impact of what's coming out of this being. And naturally enough, when that is occurring for us, and we are feel, feeling it, it is a very difficult time for any human being to be in transition with, to be in a state of experience in which the I and the, the confidence, or I the controller, or I the knower, or I the doer, can't actually cope with what the event is. And I think in a way there's some difficult as it is, there's some profound and awesome communication coming from life about I and its relationship to life, which is hard to acknowledge when it seems that the intensity of the life is so close that it's going on inside of oneself in such a, an emotive way. But it sure shows the smallness of I. If nothing else, it shows that this I is not what it wants, not what it believes, not what it thinks, and not being able to do what it wants to do, and it puts it in a perspective which sometimes we don't learn any other way. So I say, with this sense of I and me, its relationship too is a consideration, and in the most difficult circumstances, inner circumstances or life circumstances, I think there is something to be understood with it. In other words, it's not all bad news. In this, sometimes we feel, and as you report and uh, share, sometimes when there is some emotive impact going on inside of ourselves, it is as though there are layers of it. It's rather like sometimes in the, uh, what do you call it, the uh, geographical world, in the rock formations, people who know about those things see there are different kinds of layers which have their own kind of history. And it seems to me that the human system, our inner life, is a little bit like that in its formations, in its history. So sometimes in our experience of our inner life and our going deep, sometimes we experience in difficulty and in pain, in internalized pain, some reaction to it. Aggression, anger, annoyance, pressure. And it starts coming through parts of the body. We feel it quite in intensely. And it usually requires other factors, a memory, a situation where we have felt we have been hurt. We're not angry because we want something from somebody, but we're, much, we're feeling angry because somebody has, it seems, done something to us which at some deep level inside of ourselves has hurt us so much that, this, that we feel angry about. And we know there are various ways and means to work with these angers and to, to go into that. But what one may be left at, deep down, as it were, in the rock formations of one's heart, of one's being, is other kinds of feelings 
which we might describe as sorrow, as, as grief, as uh, turmoil, as unhappiness. And sometimes we, in our meditations, in going through the layers, we keep coming, not in fact to the hard level of ourself, which I think is much more, so to speak, upper, the, the affirmative, strong appearance of self. But rather, as we get in touch with ourselves, we actually go, if we speak in that language, we go from hard to soft. We go from feeling strong to feeling caring, to feeling important, to feeling gentle, to feeling power, to feeling vulnerability. And we begin to make a shift in the consciousness from these upper solid, affirmative, I know kind of levels into a terrain which is much softer in its character. This kind of movement, in sometimes in just the beginning of this movement, is a trigger for all sorts of emotional upheaval. And it being triggered off by the tiniest of circumstances. In that, when we're in touch with strong feelings which may be occurring for us during these days, sometimes in all that movement that's going on, if we can be soft, if we can be receptive, at times we may be touching a very soft place in that area. And I would say that since, uh, since I wouldn't regard it all as bad news, no matter how painful and how difficult it is, it means in some way or other, in those times, the system, so to speak, is relatively open. The organism is relatively breathing, even if it's only breathing out pain. And that getting access to the soft, soft place in ourselves that one of the things which we often overlook in a deep, soft place inside the human being is that the place where the most pain is, where that impact in our life which has hurt most and has been caused the most difficulty and has had the most influence in all circumstances in our life, that place is also the place where there is the most love. And this is so hard to sense. It's so hard to see. So in our experience, in our gaining our access to our being and in, and in listening profoundly and carefully and lovingly, that listening in will find a very soft place inside. This soft place can be filled, it seems, with turmoil and darkness and pain and memory and, and you can feel it, all feel it as it were, right down inside of oneself for those who carry the memory of pain. Some are blessed in life, some remarkably in this world are able to live in this world and be in this world with all its suffering and all its turmoil and be able to explore inwardly and touch these beautifully soft places inside and that area is remarkably free from pain, remarkably free from hurt, remarkably free from the memory of the old. 
So this we, we explore, we, 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 we find out about ourselves as we go deeper into ourselves. In this process of going deeply into oneself and gaining access deeper into one's being, that area, that deep, soft place in, inside, as I say, the trigger of memory or of pain can seem to drive one out drive one out in that one gets caught up in the memories, in the thoughts, in the anger, in the turmoil, in the confusion. And in all of our practices, all of the meditations, all of the techniques, the form, and most of all, the, the loving support of the community, give us the capacity within the context of the situation to say, right, going through this, let me step back a little bit, let me go back, let me just see inside, let me get in touch with what I'm feeling inside, let me be with that feeling, let me see where, without any force or pressure, let me see with the feeling that I'm experiencing, no matter how strong or how subtle, let me feel where the softest place of it is. Where is the softest place of it? Where is the softest point of it? And sometimes, in touching the softest place or point, we know we're deep, we can feel the deepness. It may only be for a moment, or a moment or two, and it may, it may be, feel like it's like the, the, uh, uh, the eye in the storm, the centre of the cyclone, and one just touches that place for a moment or two. But I think just to know that that's there amidst everything is liberating and freeing in itself, even if it means we get swamped over again by the turmoils of our human existence. <coughs> in that touching, it's not enough, I would say, there, just to touch, but it's rather in that inner exploration, in the into our intimacies of our feeling, that in that ex connection and experience with that, that indicates, that shows, what are we bringing to this? It's like there's a relationship going on. What is the relationship of when we're in touch with ourselves and feeling ourselves very deeply, what are we, what are we bringing to that? Because what we bring to the situation affects the deep. The deep is related to the consciousness of what we bring to the deep. So in certain situations where there's pain, old pain, and you know it's very deep down in, in there, the wonderful power of consciousness, the wonderful power of bringing quietly, without willpower, and without effort, and without forcing that uh, uh, consciousness, the light of consciousness, to the deep, it itself heals. It heals deep, things which are so deep because consciousness can go anywhere deep. And it loves to do that. Its own natural movement and attraction is towards, towards that. So in that, in that going deep there, there may be a situation you may have experienced while you're here, a situation where one says, this person has really hurt me. I've been really grieved by this person. I really feel the sorrow of this. I really feel the separation of this circumstance in my life. Whatever form that sorrow or pain is, 
And, we, and one may say, I ought to be able to forgive. I ought to be able to let go. I ought to be able to uh, feel loving and compassionate. And frequently the fact is we don't. And we don't because deep down the image and the memory and the so associations at the present don't permit it. And the forgiveness comes, compassion comes, the love comes effortlessly when there is healing. It's in our being healed inwardly that forgiveness comes easily outwardly. And it's much too much to ask of us to be so forgiving outwardly when we're not healed inwardly. So our bringing of light and our mutual support to situations, in a way it's allowing the light to come to the darkness. Our allowing the light of consciousness to touch the soft place. Allowing that openness, that spaciousness, that receptivity to permeate and pervade the deep. And when that is allowed to do that, when we say that that is something beautiful to give to ourselves or to give to life, when we allow that to take place, then the lightness replaces the darkness, love replaces the hurt, joy replaces, replaces the pain. And we all collectively and together, we have this, this is power. This is something beautiful. And it's a completely different order of power and being in the world, which we can give to ourselves and to each other, than the usual kind of power which is control and domination and what's in it for me. So when we think of healing and when we when we connecting with ourselves to healing, it's to healing something of the planet. It's to it's it's not healing for me, it's healing for some pain of the earth. Some pain of humanity. So it's not me, my pain and my hurt and and my whatever, but rather the consciousness directing to where it needs to be. In this case, sometimes it's old pain and hurt. So now looking at ourselves and in, in, in the structure of self, in the, the, the solidity that appears, or in the, the formations of self, to look, as I said earlier, in among the many forms that we might look at, and just taking two examples, one is this, the mode of success and what's in it for me, and the other mode. This other mode, the latter mode, if we can touch with that, also the power of that not only heals, but also the power of that doesn't leave the trace of I and me. It can dissolve I and me as much as it dissolves the I associated with what happened to me. So going deep into ourselves and really connecting with ourselves is included, let us say, the inquiry of self and I and me. If we know that as we get in touch with ourselves and explore ourselves, it doesn't seem like, it doesn't feel like I have some issue in the past to resolve. 
or I have some old hurt to deal with. Because not everybody has that to any great depth. Not everybody. Some do. They know it's deep and others. It's in other levels which are uh, just showing themselves in different ways. So if we look at ourselves and we feel, well actually in my life there isn't too much pain and there isn't too much hurt and there isn't too much grief and there isn't too much sorrow and that one feels reasonably comfortable with life and that there's a certain kind of steadiness with life because one isn't affected so much by the, the painful old. Then one's going to be asking oneself not so much healing questions and, and kindness and receptivity as important as they are one is going to be asking oneself what am I willing to die to? What am I willing in my life to give up and let go of? What am I willing in my life to sacrifice? What does it mean in life to inwardly to die? And, and, and it's like an, the same, either going very, very deep is a calling for the death of dying of ego, and whether one doesn't need to go deep in terms of the hurts and the pains, but needs to be aware of I, still the question is concerning dying to me. <coughs> Spirituality, to me, has, it is, has no relevance unless that exploration is explored in terms of what is dying to me. When we inquire and when we look at that, so if there's a stable sense of self of me, then where is the dying going to be? What's, 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 what does that mean? <coughs> let, us think, let us explore, touch on that. Many, I mean, this is a multifaceted area of spiritual inquiry. Sometimes we are feeling fairly comfortable with life, we are feeling in the moment, as we say, we're feeling a reasonable degree of harmony with ourselves and uh, with each other. And we might say in those times and in those moments that there's some feeling of oneness. And that feeling of oneness, that sense of oneness, can again have a whole variety of different levels to it. No experience in itself denies oneness. Every experience that you and I have is, in fact, marvelously, if not mystically, the revelation of oneness. Every single experience a human being has only shows how she or he is so connected with the rest of life. But frequently, when we speak of oneness, of being one with, we have a certain kind of experience which we may differ from another we may feel harmony with, we may experience an undivided love for, feel a connection with, and we say that quality of sensation, that, that's oneness. And we may say, when I'm most away from oneness, perhaps when I feel very angry, or when I'm feeling very lonely, very isolated, I don't feel oneness. It is oneness, but it takes an understanding and inquiry to understand the oneness of aloneness, the sharedness of that experience. But let us take the, the, the normal 
idea, the normal conception of oneness. So sometimes we experience oneness. It may come through a meditative process. It may come through a spontaneous occurrence in the nature. It may come through other means induced or whatever it might be. The oneness itself doesn't say anything unless it reveals something through its own action. What I mean by that is there are numerous people who experience a state of oneness. It might be a short-lived state, in minutes, hours, day, day or two. But oneness which is realized, not just as a, a temporary abeyance, transforms right through to the softest, deepest spot inside of oneself in such a way that oneness says to you and I, you, whoever you are, matter as much as I. That to all intents and purposes, you and I are one. So just to have a oneness experience, for it to fade away and then to go living with what's for me, is barely worth the name oneness because it hasn't transformed perception. It hasn't taken hold of perception and shaking it, shaking it up so much that one, can't, that one just can't go on living in this world thinking what's for me, what's in it for me, and believe in that thought anymore. So when we speak of spiritual oneness, rather than a temporary experience which makes little difference to our life except self-satisfaction of having it, it means that that oneness means that when we see, and when we hear, and when we touch, and when we look at, and when we are with, it's just as we are looking and serving and treating and regarding ourselves as much as thinking about oneself. Then one says, this oneness is spiritual. This oneness has transformed perception in a way which is freeing and dissolving of self as having any meaning. So when we enter into a retreat situation, when we engage in these long-standing practices, when we are here together looking, it is not to support self. It's not to make a better self. It's not to feel comfortable in the world. It's not to be successful in the world. It's not even to have a nice, calm, clear, cool self at all. It's to see through the fiction of it as having any separate existence. It's to see through in such a way, in a freeing way, in which self has ceased to be on the center of the life stage. That is a wonderful and challenging undertaking for a human being. That's, that's the adventure of spiritual life. And so wherever we are, wherever we catch the eye arising, of course we need to use I. We say, I am sitting here, you are sitting there, we are sitting together. Of course we need that normal interaction, intercourse of hum human language. But in the levels of our being, 
we know that's all that it is. So we say that when we when we got a steady eye, then we the questions around letting go and giving up and sacrificing and doing without become primary because the eye needs what it does without, that's where the eye support is. As much that we can know we can be without in life and feel the austerity of that, the challenge of that and the liberation of it. And correspondingly, when we're experiencing that deep place inside of us, that soft place inside of us, no matter how difficult and how painful it is, it's there too, there's a source of all that's inside of the human being, we might say, all that's magnificently beautiful. There is the place, in the very place that we are most troubled by, we're most upset by, we feel most hurt by, that place, that place is the very place where is the fountain of love. And we just touch on that just for a moment, in our being, in our sensitivities, in our, in our feelings, in our working within, in our healing. If we can just touch on that for a moment, it can just, just water, like a plant. You touch the root and the water just waters and it goes right through, right to the very end. And then flowering can take place easily and effortlessly. Because we know the place where heart needs to be. We know where consciousness needs to be. And in that way, we, 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 we water life, not watering me, not I am being watered by this, I am being nourished, but we're watering all of existence. We're bringing love and joy into all of existence. We're bringing sacrifice and letting go and giving up to the all of existence. So when we're speaking of liberation and freedom, we're not speaking of liberation and freedom of me, of I, of self. We're bringing it to the whole planet, to everything. Because we're all, all in this together. We're all participating in this life together. So it's not the freedom of one, it's the freedom and liberation for all. And this can be very hard to understand with thought, very hard because it seems like thought keeps saying, oh, for me, this is for me. And that repetition, and it's hard to liberate oneself from that kind of perception that that's just an old conditioned perception and see it so starkly different. But we can. But we can. We have this wonderful capacity as human beings to go deep, to touch, to water, to flower, to be free. So let us in our time, in our days here together, pay respect to life through being conscious and mindful and attentive to it. Through even the difficult and the painful experiences which occur, see if we can acknowledge in those that there's something meaningful and invaluable in and amidst all of that as well. Which is not easy to recognize because thought is finds that hard to recognize. 
but if we're caring and if we're looking, that recognition will come, and thought will say that, and thought will confirm that as much as our observations and our attention. And then we pay true justice to ourselves, true justice to, to each other. And the limitations of self seem to be something rather old and not really relevant. And the idea of what's in it for me seems to be a kind of humorous memory of the past. May all beings see into life. <coughs> May all beings see into themselves. May all beings live with wisdom. So let's have a couple of minutes quiet period, shall we? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.